0: Good morning, morning. my name is Tim Porter, one of the pastors here for Faith Community and thank you so much for being in the room with us this morning on this glorious spring summer-like day and weekend online. Thank you so much for joining us as well. Uh, hi to Kurt and uh, Kurt and Gail in Cross Lake, Minnesota. Thanks for joining in with us this morning and everyone else. And if this is one of your first times here, thank you for being with us and investing your morning uh, with us. It's our hope and prayer that as we gather together, uh, we will experience inspiration by God's spirit to follow after Jesus because of his greatness and his goodness for us. Before I start our teaching time, I would like to pray uh, and ask you to pray with me. Uh, Nothing bad. Uh, Pastor Larry Ziman is over in Uganda right now, and he is finishing up some training of pastors that we began four years ago. We began a, a, a commitment four years ago with some church pastors who have been under-resourced and um, a team of churches, Faith Community Hudson, New Richmond, Somerset, uh, The Bridge in Somerset, uh, Village Church in Baldwin, and the River Church in River Falls. We all pooled a bunch of resources together and uh, you have helped a a, a lot of pastors from Faith Community and these churches go over to Uganda and help train pastors. And so that commitment is ending with this session, and I want to pray for Larry for a safe trip and then also um, for those pastors to uh, be able to uh, grow and shepherd and evangelize uh, well in in their context. So would you close your eyes as I pray? Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your kindness and your steadfast, persistent love. Would you please uh, be with our brothers and sisters in Uganda right now. Would you please be with these pastors who have um, experienced and received this training? And would you help them to share Jesus with many, many, many more people and to be able to shepherd people who follow Jesus in powerful, humble, competent, confident ways. Thank you for the sacrifice of Larry and uh, Mike Evans and others who have gone with to Uganda over the years and even putting their own health at risk at times just traveling during this pandemic and you have shown yourself faithful God would you please would you please grant Larry and Mike a safe trip home? Grant that um, as they investigate other possible um, ways in which we could be involved with pastors and church planting in Africa. Would you give wisdom? And God, again, I just want to testify before this group of people of your kindness and your generosity through your churches um, so that w- we were able to make this commitment and fulfill this commitment uh, because of the generosity of your people. Thank you, God. Keep us humble and generous and self-sacrificing for the sake of the nations. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we are in a series we're calling The Stories We Tell, and we're highlighting some of the stories that we tell ourselves in our own hearts and tell one another stories that seem very plausible and seem to make a lot of sense, but actually lead us away from the ways that God has called us to live and Jesus has saved us to live and can lead us into actually bondage and to the prison, in this case today, the prison of bitterness. One of the stories we tell ourselves when someone else, when someone who is, a, is asking us forgiveness for something that they've done is either really big or has done it multiple, multiple, multiple times to us is, I can't forgive. This sin is too big this hurt is too big or this has happened way too many times i cannot forgive and that kind of story that we tell our own heart so that we justify in somebody else's heart leads to bitterness When Jesus has come actually to give us the freedom of forgiveness and to live a lifestyle in our relationships of forgiveness. There's not a middle ground here. When we are refusing to grant forgiveness because of the stories we tell ourselves, we are at that very moment sowing seeds of bitterness. And bitterness will eventually result in some of these kinds of symptoms. Withdrawal from relationships, sometimes unexplained outbursts of anger, biting sarcasm remember, sarcasm is not a spiritual gift, suspicion and distrust, depression hypersensitivity. One person has said that bitterness is the poison that we drink hoping to kill our enemy. And it results. It results in being in prison of bitterness. But Jesus tells us a different story, a story where mercy is highlighted and that mercy can compel us to forgive as we have been forgiven. Forgiven, And so we're going to learn Jesus' story here today. It's about this granting mercy when we have experienced so much mercy. So we're going to be reading from Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. It's found on page 823 in the Bibles in front of you, unless it's one of those four or five Bibles that are floating around. And it has a little bit different page numbers. And if you find one of those, let me know. Bring it up to me or Pastor Tim Prince next week. Bring it up to us so that we can um, use it. More wisely than having it in here with confusing page numbers. So Matthew eighteen twenty one through thirty five, um, a an asterisk on this sermon, and before we read from this gospel, an asterisk or a caveat, an important, an important one. the The topic today about granting forgiveness is very important, and it keeps us out of bitterness. And I'm also aware that when there have been instances of trauma or there have been instances of abuse in various kinds, those are unique circumstances that aren't outside of the realm of forgiveness as a way of healing. One of the reasons why we're in Uganda right now is because of a ministry now organization called Tudapona where they were going along and helping people who had been significantly traumatized and abused in Uganda. And one of the ways of experiencing emotional healing was through learning how to forgive those who had injured them so deeply. So it's not, it's not an excuse to not pursue forgiveness, but those are unique circumstances. They need to be handled very carefully. Sometimes law enforcement needs to be brought in. And so I want to just encourage you that if you are experiencing some of those things, you call the police. And you can call in and get biblical counseling and we can talk through what does that look like to pursue healing through forgiveness. The other thing that this presumes as well, this this story that we tell ourselves and Jesus counter story is it presumes that we're being asked to grant forgiveness from someone and there are situations where we are not being asked to grant forgiveness from someone and those are unique as well we still have to do the heart work that jesus talks about here to be able to place to be able to forgive but it's it's impossible to forgive somebody who's not asking for forgiveness and we want to I just want to put those out there so that we hear as strongly as we can and as powerfully we can what Jesus is talking about and the topic that he's talking about. But I also know that these are interrelated. So we begin Jesus or with Peter, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, "Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him?" As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then Jesus tells the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, and seizing him, began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now Jesus is, this this shows up in a context where Jesus is teaching his followers how to handle how to handle it when we're sinning against one another as followers of Jesus. You know, following Jesus, beginning to be a follower of Jesus, doesn't mean that we'll never sin against one another again. And so Jesus is presupposing and knows that his followers are going to sin against one another, and so he gives some ways to handle that. We'll look at that in just a second. But then Peter asks this question, and it's a beautiful question. I'm so glad that Peter asked this question because it's a question that we ask at times. I know I have. This person has sinned against me multiple times. Do I still need to forgive them? And so, G- so Peter asks Jesus this question, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Now, Peter is believing that he's being generous here. No doubt he's been listening to Jesus. He knows that follow Jesus is, means that you be, take on this forgiving lifestyle. He's been around Jesus long enough to know that forgiveness is a really, 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 that's a lot of really, really, really big deal to Jesus and requires that we become forgiving people. And so Peter asks, seven times? Seven times, Jesus? But we need to remember that there's a story going on in Peter's heart, if we can put it this way, and the story goes something like this, and this is why Jesus tells a different story. There's a limit to the amount of times I need to forgive somebody. That's the story. It's either too often, eight times, Or it's too big. And Jesus tells a story that shows, no, there's no limit to the forgiveness that you can offer to someone who sinned against you. There's no limit. Don't put a limit on forgiveness. So Jesus tells the story, and I want to begin to look at the story by seeing where Jesus ends. Because what Jesus is trying to do is show us the life that he came to give us to uh, save us to. To save us to. It's a life where we are inspired and compelled by good news and the receiving of grace and mercy from Jesus. And he's trying to save us from Bitterness, Because bitterness is not just something that we experience in this life. Bitterness can be something that can extend into the life to come. When we are hurt, how we handle that hurt has eternal consequences. So Jesus says in 32, Then his master summoned him, that is the wicked servant, the unforgiving servant. And he said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So my heavenly father, near, hear, hear the comparison. This is hard. This is hard. But Jesus takes this so seriously. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, he's talking to his followers, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's no limit to the amount of times that we might be able to forgive somebody. That's what Jesus is trying to get at because he's trying to save us out of bitterness. And as we see here, when when Jesus talks about the prison that you're thrown into, This is a a term, it's a metaphor for talking about eternal destiny. Bitterness can lead to hell. Notice that Jesus calls this servant who refuses to forgive when he has experienced mercy. Wicked. I don't know what your definition of wicked is. Maybe it's all kinds of things. But do you have in there the wickedness of not extending mercy? When you've received so much mercy because that's part of jesus definition now maybe you're thinking right now sort of like what i was thinking too as i have wrestled with this passage wait a second we keep talking about over and over and over again that you know you give your life to jesus and we are saved not because of what we do or what we haven't done or what's been done to us we are saved because of jesus What's going on with this passage where Jesus is saying, Look, it seems like all he's saying is that if you become a forgiving person, then you will be in heaven. Or if you become an unforgiving person, you'll be in hell. Or maybe Jesus is saying something like this like, because this guy, he experienced mercy and then he was thrown into prison. Maybe Jesus is saying you can lose your salvation. You can start out really well and you can be saved and then eventually you do something and then you can lose your salvation. I don't think Jesus is saying either of those because it contradicts what he teaches in other places. Jesus is saying something, I think, different though that's still really important for us to hear and really dire. And that is that forgiveness received should transform should transform us into forgiving people. And that if we don't have the fruit of forgiveness in our lives, that might mean we haven't really forgive, received forgiveness from God, even though we sing about it all the time. Mercy, Jesus says, mercy experienced and received should lead to the fruit of extending mercy. Mercy. You and I don't look at a tree and look at the fruit in the tree and say, oh, the fruit in the tree makes that tree live. No. The fruit is there because the tree is alive. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Forgiveness doesn't make you alive. Forgiving, forgiving other people doesn't make you alive and make you bound for heaven. But forgiving shows that you're bound for heaven because you've been transformed by God's mercy. See, it's a danger, and Jesus knows it's a danger, so he's talking to his, early, his first followers. It's a danger for us who are still following Jesus to start to, if we're devoted to community, like one of our values is as a church, we're devoted to community, we, will, we live with one another long enough, and we're going to sin against one another, and the temptation is to turn that into bitterness and not forgive. And Jesus is saying, look, bitterness will ruin you. Jesus is a master storyteller, and so even in this passage in verse 28, Jesus is showing what bitterness looks like. Notice the man, the the the, the forgiven servant goes to somebody else who owes him a debt, and before he can even plead or anything like that, he just starts choking him. Give me what you owe. And then hearing the very words that he said to his master, I beg you, I will pay you. Be patient with me. He throws him into jail. That's what bitterness does. It starts to build up. And this can be with big Sins, however we, and big, hurts, however we define that, or small ones that just build up over time. Veronica's best friend, Betsy, was planning a sleepover at the end of summer before school started, and all of Veronica's friends were going to be there, and it was going to be a great, great, great time. They had been planning it all summer. They had all kinds of activities involved with the sleepover. It had been on the family's shared Google calendar for months. They've all been talking about it. All the girls have been talking about it, and it was going to be the sleepover to end all sleepovers, Her parents had given her permission to go and again it was on the family shared google calendar a week before the party veronica's dad found out that some close family friends were coming into town and he went to veronica and said veronica this really isn't that big of a deal you can have plenty of other sleepovers In fact, maybe we'll even host one for you at some point in time, but I need you to stay home. I know we made a commitment, but I I need you to stay home. And in that moment, Veronica started to tell herself a story that was leading towards bitterness because she was so devastated by the insensitivity of her father. These are some of the statements that she started to tell herself. I can't believe he's doing this to me. I've been planning to go to this sleepover for all summer. It's been on the calendar. He is so selfish. All he thinks about is himself. He is never willing to let me have any fun whatsoever. Why did I get stuck with a father like him? I can't wait to get out of here then nobody's going to be able to spoil my fun. And finally, he can't do this to me. I'm going to give him a taste of his own medicine. I'm going to embarrass him. I'm going to go to that party. I'm going to embarrass him so badly, he's going to wish that I went to that sleepover. Hear the stories that she was telling herself? Now, this takes humility, and this takes courage, but a way out of that bitterness is what Jesus talks about. We don't, we're not reading it this morning, but what Jesus talks about at the beginning of this section, which is when you have a fault against somebody, you go and show them their fault. But you don't go and show somebody their fault simply to confront them. You Christians always go to show somebody else the fault that they've, that they've done and to be able to restore the relationship, to be able to grant forgiveness. So Veronica could have done something like this instead of planning to embarrass her father. Dad, you have authority over me? So I, can, I, I'll, I will stay home if you really, really want me to stay home. But Dad, I really feel like this is insensitive and you're not understanding how important this was to me. Would you please reconsider? Or Dad, this really, really hurt. Would you please understand how much this hurt me? And that creates a kind of relational environment where you can grant forgiveness, ask forgiveness and grant forgiveness. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now when we are asked to grant forgiveness to somebody, to somebody else who has sinned against us, we make four promises when we are asked to forgive. And if we say, I forgive you to another human being, we are saying at least four promises. I'll come back to why this matters in just a little bit. We are saying four promises, and I get these from a man named Ken Sandy. And you can write them down or take pictures as they go on the screen. We make four promises when I say, I forgive you. You tell somebody else when they say, will you please forgive me and I forgive you? You say, I will not dwell on this incident. I won't dwell on it. I'm not gonna replay it over and over and over and over again in my mind. You tell somebody, you tell this person, you promise them, I'm not gonna bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not bring it up and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident is promise number three. And lastly, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. I'm not going to withdraw. I'm not going to let this instance stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Now, Veronica's way is one way to go. That's a way of bitterness. I know it was one who stored up bitterness in my relationship with my father. I remember the first time my dad asked me for forgiveness. I was in my early 20s, and I had no idea how much bitterness was stored up. just want to, if you're in your 20s, and your relationship with your parents is strained, it might not just be because of the hurt that they've caused you. It might also be the way that you've handled the hurt. But there's another way to handle forgiveness or handle hurt. The story of Gordon and Emma Gordon and Emma met at church, a church function, and she was a beautiful and admirable young woman, and he, Gordon, was a fairly new pastor. Their wedding day seemed to be the launch of a godly couple into the promise of fruitful ministry and decades of joy ahead. But just a few days into their honeymoon, Gordon made it really clear that he did not love Emma. He married her, quite frankly, simply because he was going to have more opportunities as a married pastor than a single one. For 40 years, through the birth of six children, all while functioning as a pastor, Gordon made no meaningful attempt to kindle any kind of love for his wife. Eventually, he freely admitted to her of an adulterous relationship that began after the birth of their fourth child. But Gordon insisted that they needed to remain married because it was important for his career. Marriage for Emma became the life of secret shame. She was eventually relegated to sharing a room with her two daughters while her husband stayed in a separate room and their four sons in another one. Gordon's disregard for Emma permeated almost every aspect of their marriage. And while she continued to live under the same roof, though, she never, experienced, she never experienced any kind of life, any kind of life under his care. What was the relationship that seemed normal on the outside was very confusing and hard on the inside. And the kids even grew up realizing that something was fundamentally wrong with their relationship but couldn't put their finger on it. Amazing, Emma sought to love and care for Gordon through this whole time. The gospel reminded her that she needed a savior and that her principal need was not to be saved from this cruel twist of fate, her providence that she was in, but actually she needed to be saved from her own profound sinfulness. Emma understood the mercy and forgiveness of God for her sin, and she accepted God's call to extend mercy to her husband during this time. And she fought hard to never allow bitterness to take root in her heart. Instead, she learned how to stand with dignity and trusting her welfare to Jesus. Mercy along the way. Eventually, this relationship ended in divorce. And even after the divorce, Emma would still send cards and letters to Gordon. Kind cards. Merciful cards. And she was experiencing deep satisfaction and deep joy and delight and sweetness in her relationship with God, which even caused her heart to long even more that Gordon might be able to experience something like that with God. The unthinkable came one day. When eventually Gordon, who was a pastor, met Jesus and gave his life to him. He responded to the call and he started to trust in Jesus. His children, now adults, lovingly seeking to restore the relationship, confronted him about his past sins. And for the first time in his life, Gordon started to take responsibility for the things that he had done. And eventually, Gordon wrote a letter to Emma confessing his sin against God and against her. And in that moment, Emma was faced with a test. Some of the stories in her heart, this can't be so easy. What if, is this letting him off the hook for all this pain if I forgive him? You know, those are some of the stories that were, she was telling. But this is how she responded. She wrote Gordon back. It's with mixed emotions that I read your letter, Gordon. I'm so sad. As I was reminded of many difficult years, but I'm also glad at the same time for the work of the Spirit of God in your life. I'm glad to hear you share your failure so frankly and clearly and to ask for my forgiveness. And I'm glad to hear you share These same failures, and ask for your forgiveness from our children as well. Gordon, I forgive you. I forgive you for not loving me as Christ loved the church and for your disregard of our marriage vows. And though I am saddened deeply by many, many marriage memories, I've released those to the Lord. I've sought to guard my heart against the ravages of bitterness. I rejoice in the mercy of God that in spite of our failed marriage, our children know the Lord. And, Gordon, God uses confession and forgiveness to bring healing. And I'm trusting God that that will be true for the both of us. I've been a pastor at Faith Community for 21 years this month, and I have seen Bitterness take root and destroy relationships. I think one of, the, one of the things, other than just the loss of life in this pandemic, one of the things that's grieved me most in this time is seeing friendships that were once close, torn apart, because of bitterness, hurt, and suspicion. But I've also seen stories like Emma, Emma and Gordon, where... Wrongs have been forgiven and relationships restored. Jesus has come to give us the ability to love and to extend mercy like Emma did to Gordon. So I'm going to ask you, is that a beautiful story to you? Because that's the kind of story Jesus can tell through you and me. Thankfully, Jesus, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, stop being bitter and start forgiving. He doesn't take the Bob Newhart approach. In his story, Jesus gives some glimpses of what we can do with our hearts and with God to help us to live that kind of story like Emma lived. And the first way Jesus does that is with a key word in this story of the servants and the master and the key word is compassion or in our translation, verse 27, it's out of pity. Out of pity for him, out of pity for him, the master of that servant Released him and forgave him the debt. Notice there is no pity with the unmerciful servant. And pity here is a very important word because pity is not just simply like you feel sorry for somebody. Pity or compassion is that you put your you put yourself in the other person's place. Your heart goes out to that person. That's what compassion is. And what's amazing is that one of the chief emotions that are used or words that it's used to describe the emotional life of Jesus is compassion. His heart goes out to you and me in our sin and in our suffering the king had compassion and the king had compassion which what's uh, one thing that's astounding about this is that the debt that this servant had racked up talks about 10,000 talents and 10 and talents as a way of measurement and uh, and and money in the first century you've got talents and denarii a denarii was like a day wage Talons was a way of measuring gold and best estimates from scholars is that the amount of money that this servant owed this king would be equivalent today to $12 billion. There's no way he could pay it off. And this king, out of compassion, forgave an infinite debt. That's the good news of the gospel. You and I, have been forgiven an infinite debt that we can never pay back. There's no way. Why? Because the king's heart goes out to him. And just as the king's heart goes out to that first servant, Jesus is showing us what it looks like to forgive, where our hearts need to go when we're starting to tell stories in our own hearts for why we shouldn't forgive. We need to start identifying with the person who sinned against us. A long time ago when our boys were much younger than they are right now, I used to take them to Valley Fair on Labor Day weekend. We got free corn on the cob and there was hardly anybody there because everybody was at the state fair. It was great. We got on rides all over the place. And for the first time ever, I actually went to a, uh, an artist, one of those uh, caricature artists, you know, caricature, caricature, tomato, tomato. But, And the whole point of a caricature artist is that they take your flaws and then they accentuate them. So if you have big ears, you get bigger ears. you have big eyes, you get even bigger eyes. I have a gap between my front two teeth. That that gap became so big on that poster that you could drive a semi-truck through it. (laughs) Now what we do in our hearts when we're sinned against is we start to build a caricature of the person who sinned against us. We start to take their flaws and accentuate them. We don't know how to identify anymore. We say, "Well, they lied to me. They lied to me because they're just a liar. They gossiped about me. Just simply They're a gossip." And then somebody comes back to you and say, "Yeah, but, but didn't you gossip about this person?" Like, "Yeah, yeah, but that was complicated." One of the things that's important for us to be able to do, to have compassion, is to enter into the world of the person who sinned against us, to have compassion, to understand why they did what they did, and to know that, quite frankly, many times you and I are forgiving sins that we've committed to somebody else, against somebody else. We just justify them better. Compassion. You let your heart go out. Pity identifies. Second, measure our debt to be paid. Like I mentioned, this this, uh, servant is forgiven a debt that he can never, ever, ever, ever pay back, $12 billion. But then he's, he's brought into a spot where he needs to forgive 300 denarii. 300 denarii is still a significant amount of money, still a significant amount of money, but it's not 10,000 talents. It's about three months' wages, 10, 300 denarii is about three months' wages. So it's a significant debt, but nothing compared to what he has been forgiven. And one of the things that Jesus is teaching us here is that when you and I are being given the opportunity to forgive someone who sinned against us, even if it is the 10,000th time that you're forgiving somebody, it's still nothing compared to what we've been forgiven. Last week, we closed our service with the song, The Mercy of Jesus, and we were singing, Oh, the mercy of Jesus, it covers, covers us worst ones. It covers me. I've been singing that song in the back of my head. I sent Kevin a text yesterday. That song's just been on my heart and in my mind all week. My boys know it. I was singing it all day yesterday as I was working in the yard. It covers us worst ones. It covers me. That song is so powerful because it puts me in the category of worst one. As we sing that song, as you sing that song, do you look at... Forgiving somebody as you're forgiving one of the worst ones? Or do you look at yourself as one of the worst ones who's been forgiven and given an opportunity to extend that same kind of mercy to another? The good news and the the power of the gospel is that you will never out-forgive what you've been forgiven by God. It's that massive, and he was glad Glad, glad to do it out of mercy and compassion. We, at times, I don't know if you've ever said this or maybe you've heard some else say this, that it's hard for me to forgive myself. It's another story we tell. We're so caught up with the disappointment in our lives in the ways that we have sinned against others. And the way forward, I think, is not to try to figure out how to forgive ourselves, the way forward, I think, is to receive that the judge that you'll stand before one day has already forgiven all your debt. And the way forward is to believe and to receive that the most important person in the universe has forgiven everything. Lastly, need to remember that forgiveness is costly. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. One of the ways the Bible talks about forgiveness and sin is by way of debt. It's it's all economic, and that's by design so that we can understand something that's going on with our with our sin and in our relationships, when we sin against one another, it's like we're racking up debt with one another, racking up debt with God when we sin against one another. And debt just doesn't go away. It has to be paid for. A few years ago when our youngest son, Seth, was really, really small and could fit in the seat, um, that, the seat in the grocery cart, I was at Fresh and Natural, which is right over here, grocery store, and we were going through uh, and I was picking up some bulk spices and it was onion soup mix. And they are all in these glass containers out on these shelves. And I, not being a wise father, turned my back and was doing something else. And Seth, being a curious, wonderful little kid, uh, reached out and grabbed one of the glass, con- glass containers and pulled it off the shelf. And spice everywhere. Thankfully, the manager kept, came running to make sure everything was okay. I mean, here's this big glass jar breaking all over the place. And I immediately just said, I'm so sorry. Let me know what I need to pay. What do I need to pay? And the manager said, look, no, uh, you don't have to worry about that, we've got it, we've got it. We probably shouldn't have had him out there anyway, but we've got it. You don't have to pay a thing, your, your debt's forgiven. Now, that, did, that doesn't go away, they have to buy more spices. Now, thankfully, if you shop at Fresh and Natural, you're paying my debt, thank you very much, right? But it goes on to the customers, it goes on to either take another bottom line, you've gotta find some place for that money to go. It just doesn't vanish into thin air. The same thing with this king. This king has all kinds of money, but he has to pay the debt. It has to come out of his treasury. And that's what's going on with forgiveness. When we forgive someone who asks us for forgiveness, The debt still gets paid, but not by the offender, by the one granting forgiveness. That's what makes forgiveness so hard sometimes, is because we have to bear the cost. And we're gladly saying that. That's why the four promises matter so much. I'm not going to dwell on this incident anymore. I'm not going to let it eat me up. Forgiveness is an act of the will that the emotions follow. I'm gonna stop dwelling on this because I've forgiven this person. That's bearing the cost. Tim Prince talked about last week and how God is just, God is just in forgiving our sins and forgiving people who trust in Jesus. He's just in forgiving those. Why? The sins are paid for. It's just you and I don't pay for them. God does in the death of his son. A great way for justice to be done is for the forgiver to bear the cost. Mercy is not happen at the absence of justice. Justice is born. Justice happens when we forgive and bear the cost. And this is exactly what God has done with us. Compassion is to let your heart go out to somebody who sinned against you, to identify with them. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin. He identified with us. For us, so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's what you've experienced. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus, his heart went out to us and he identified with us so that we could receive all kinds of mercy and our great debt to be paid so that you and I could be freed not only from the debt but freed from debtor's prison that we could put ourselves in because of bitterness. We're gonna celebrate communion here this morning and as we do that, we're reminded with this piece of bread, this cracker and this juice that we drink that this is Jesus' body and blood. He has saved us from an infinite debt by his life and paying the penalty that we owe so that we could live in freedom. And what I wanna ask you to do during this time is one, to invite the Spirit of God to Invite the Spirit of God to um, remind you of God's mercy in Jesus as we take this. But then also, I want to ask you to invite the Holy Spirit to also show you, is there anybody where you are resisting forgiving? And ask for God's help to forgive them. And to go do it. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing a bit of a song together reminding us of who Jesus is and then we'll take communion and we'll finish out the song together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace. Again, your steadfast love that pursues us and seeks after us. Relentless towards us because you love us that much. God, help us First, to experience your mercy. If there's anybody here who hasn't experienced your mercy yet as the beginning place of relationship with you, would you please draw them to Jesus? For all of us where we struggle to forgive, would you please remind us of the great, great chasm that was between us that has been covered. Covered by your Son thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.